Mark chapter 9, we got 50 verses this morning, so got to move, move, move. Mark chapter 9, and Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written, uh, and how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when, his, uh, when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out... Uh, uh, by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there, passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his, uh, his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise for the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. And then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. 
And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Okay, so immense passage here. What I'd like for us to focus on uh, are the kinds of conversations we see taking place between Jesus and the other characters listed. Because within these verses, there is just a lot of talking going on. Um, but there are at least three different kinds of conversation that we see taking place. We see people talking with Jesus. We see people talking at Jesus. And we see people choosing not to respond to Jesus while he's talking to them. Unfortunately, it's not really a great passage for the disciples. It's not one of their better. It's not one of their better passages. Now, Mark has highlighted a number of times the fact that they just weren't getting it from time to time. Again and again, he said, "Hey, Jesus said this," and they didn't understand. And he even records how Jesus says, "Hey, how are you guys not understanding?" We we looked at that um, a little while ago. But really, that should encourage us because we certainly don't have perfect understanding or perfect spiritual vision. In this life, and so we should be encouraged here. So to see Jesus continually showing compassion and continually working with these guys and teaching them and and just persevering with them, it demonstrates how he feels about us as his disciples as well. Now we, I would say, have a better vantage point to understand what Jesus was talking about. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the entire Word of God, and so certainly the twelve and the the disciples they were at a great disadvantage when it, when you're comparing with us. You know, um, but we are no more perfect than these guys. So we may have a better vantage point on looking at God's word and being able to compare scripture with scripture. Um, but uh, we certainly don't have everything figured out in our own minds and in our own walk with the Lord. So what we can do is look at these examples we're seeing in a text like this, see which ones were better and which ones were worse, spiritually speaking, and then take to heart the things that Jesus taught the people he was interacting with. Because, you know, conversation is something that's very important to the Lord. Notice how much time he just spends talking with people and going around. I mean, from our perspective, I think if, if I was God sending myself to go deal with the earth, you, you wouldn't do anything that Jesus was doing. You'd set up a, a for real kingdom and just start judging people left and right. That's what a, a human being would do. But conversation is really important to the Lord. The way we communicate with him is key to our understanding his teaching and his leading. That's what he's about. And Jesus himself emphasizes this 
fact in verses like Revelation 3.20 where we read this. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And that, that idea of personal connection and personal conversation and just communicating with one another is a great theme in, in what we see in Jesus on the pages of Scripture. So many, you know, as we look at just this passage or the, the, the book of Mark as a whole, so many of the disciples' missteps were connected to the fact that they did not understand what Jesus was trying to teach them at that moment, at that time. They weren't really listening to him. They, they weren't grabbing hold of what he was trying to do and speak to them. Now, we certainly want to understand what God is speaking to us today and where he is leading us today. And proper communication with him is what's going to open up our hearts to understand. And so first off, we have the transfiguration. There's three specific verses there we kind of want to highlight when thinking about the theme of this conversation. First, there in verse 4, it says, Elijah appeared to, Mo to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Uh, so these two guys, Elijah and Moses, they were sent from Abraham's bosom on a very unusual mission. I, you know, you wish you could kind of just see what was happening. You wish you could see as they, those guys were hanging out in paradise there. Jesus hadn't descended into the earth to take those believers up to heaven yet. So they're hanging out in Abraham's bosom doing whatever. And uh, someone taps them on the shoulder, I guess, and says, you're going back up. You know, you're going back up to earth for a little bit. Uh, they got the Jesus and the disciples got to the top of this hill, and the Lord was transfigured before them. Uh, they saw him in glory. Um, but then Elijah and Moses are there talking with him. It says they talked with Jesus. It seems almost out of place that that this incredible you know moment of heaven meeting earth comes together, and then they're just having a chat. They're just chatting it up while these other three guys are just kind of watching it. It's very unusual. Uh, but then contrast that, the fact that those guys were just talking with Jesus, with what Peter says in verse 5. He says, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. So while Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus, the text says, Peter talked at him. He, he, he had a whole plan worked out. You know, he, he, he's, he yelled out at Jesus and said, Hey, I want you to know I've, I've solved what's going on here, and I, I've got this all worked out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just start building tabernacles, and, and then we're just going to stay up here and build tabernacles, and I guess worship Moses and Elijah alongside Jesus. And so instead of just being witness to what was going on and learning something, Peter just kind of starts to cowboy this situation, and really he made some pretty serious assumptions and the text points out that his talking at Jesus was motivated by his fear. He was afraid. He didn't know what to say. So he just started talking. He started making decisions. And what this means is that we as Christians have the potential of moving completely off course in our faith if we're allowing ourselves to act or think out of fear. And if we're making decisions hastily in our lives. Jesus had led them up this mountain and he, and he had said apparently, hey, hang out here. I want you to see this. I want you to see something. I want you to see the kingdom of God in its power before you die there. But when the moment came and, and when that fear arose, Peter just started reaching out at whatever came to mind. It was making these, these really strange decisions. And really, I mean, he's making some very bad plans here. Um, what he's saying is blasphemous here. You, you can't build a tabernacle to Moses and worship and bring sacrifices to Moses or whatever. And so instead of talking at Jesus, Peter should have just waited to see what the Lord wanted him to do. He was there to be a witness, not to make all kinds of decisions. And that's the direction we get from God the Father there in verse 7. says, And a cloud came and overshouted them, and the voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. 
You know, it's as if the Lord had to kind of, I don't know, but it seems almost as if God the Father said, okay, we've got to cut this whole thing short because, you know, Peter's becoming a blasphemer, so we're going to shut this down and say, hey, Pete, I want you to hear Jesus. This is the point. I want you to communicate with my son uh, and not, not get all off on a tangent here. God has given us Jesus himself and given us his word so that we can hear him and know him and understand what's going on in this life and what's going on in the spiritual world. Because another theme you get out of this passage is that Jesus has a very specific and very important agenda. Man, as you watch Jesus moving around Galilee and Judea and you see how he talks to people and you see the way that he teaches the disciples and all of these things, he, he, he's always talking to his guys about the future. He's always mindful of what's going on and what's about to happen and his road to the, the cross uh, you know, uh, he, he waits specific amounts of time to go up to the hilltop. You know, right there at the beginning, it says, hey, some of you here are going to see the kingdom of God before you die. And then it says he waited six days and then they go up there. He waits a specific amount of time to heal the man's demon possessed son. We're going to see in a moment. You get a sense of his timing and his purpose in doing things at very specific intervals and very specific points. So he can be exactly where he needs to be to do his work. And that work continues in our lives today. As the Lord works out his plan through us with his purposeful timing, he, he moves in the same way as we see him moving here in Scripture. But if we haven't heard him, if we haven't heard from him, if we're not listening for his leading on what he wants us to do, then we're bound to make mistakes like Peter was making. And we're bound to start building things that we may think are spiritual but could be completely sacrilegious if we're not careful. Now next up we have the story of the boy there being healed. They get down the mountain, and the other disciples are having an argument with the scribes. And a whole bunch of people are just hanging around watching it happen. So it's pretty embarrassing. But Jesus comes, and he puts a question to them. He puts a question to the scribes specifically. But he comes, and he says, hey, what are you talking about? And everybody stays silent. All the scribes stay silent. And frankly, all the disciples stay silent too. They don't speak up either. Uh, notice in verse 17, the dad has to speak up. He's like, well, yeah, I'll tell you what they're talking about. Um, because the scribes and the disciples, you know, are, are refusing to talk to the Lord. Now, I don't want to go overboard in dogging out the disciples, but they're really blowing it in this passage. And the, this passage is highlighting how much they're, they don't understand. They didn't, they didn't talk to the Lord. They, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So I'm not trying to just dog these guys out. I'm just saying that, you know, we're the same as them, and we want to learn from missteps that they made. Now, one reason I think that they all kept silent, the disciples and the scribes, certainly the scribes because they were dirtbags, but the one reason I think they might have kept silent is because the dad says something specific there. He says, teacher, I brought you my son. But then the disciples started trying to cast out this demon, and they could not. Now, the text also says that, you know, so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out. So perhaps he came and he said, hey, you know, is Jesus here? I brought my son here. I, I heard he can do things. And I think it's at least possible that the disciples said, oh, we'll take care of that for you. And so he says, you know, okay, well, give it a shot. Um, we can't necessarily fault the disciples all the way for trying to cast out the demon themselves because the Lord had previously empowered them to go out and do these sorts of miraculous things as they preached the kingdom. But that's when Jesus sent them out specifically into the country. He said, you guys are going to get together and you're going to go out. You guys are going to go out and then you're going to come back. And I'm going to give you power to do this stuff. Um, I think this is a little bit different. You know, th this dad brings his boy to see Jesus, who is nearby. He had gone up on this little hilltop and 
We don't know how long he was gone, but Jesus was in the area. And, and he tries to talk to them, uh, you know, he but the disciples apparently said, well, we got this. We got this covered. We're not going to wait for Jesus. We're not going to go look for Jesus. We're going to get this covered ourselves. Uh, when they failed, the scribes were there, and they started getting in an argument. And then when Jesus comes back and says, hey, what's going on? They stay just as silent as the scribes did. And so this dad has to speak up. And this demonstrates to us that our pride can be a big obstacle to Jesus speaking to us and to our communication with the Lord. Because these guys thought they could command this demon, but they were wrong. And then later on, they didn't even know what was going on. They're like, hey, how come we couldn't do this? And the Lord had to instruct them. And so they had a certain ministerial pride, I guess we could say, where they thought, we totally got this covered. We've done this once before, so I don't need to go talk to Jesus. I don't need to consult with Jesus. I'm just going to do this. And they failed. They weren't prepared. They didn't quite understand the situation. And they assumed that they were going to do just as well as Jesus himself. And so it was pride that caused them to shut off communication with the Lord when the Father originally came, and pride that kept them from speaking up when Jesus asked them what was going on. Now, the father of this boy gets to have his own interesting conversation with Christ. Remember, the discussion from verses 20 through 25 happens while the son is having a convulse, convulsive fit, while he's foaming at the mouth. And um, again, you see just the timing of Jesus where... You know, Jesus is watching this demon-possessed boy flail around and foam at the mouth, and, and he pauses and he says, I want to talk to this dad for a little bit. You know, and um, it's kind of a strange thing. You, you see the heartbreak in the father's reply to the Lord. And to me, verse 24 is one of the most comforting verses in all the, Bi in all the Bible, and I'm so glad that the Lord waited to just cast out the demon so that he could have this exchange with the father. There in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. And I love that verse. I mean, that, that is a very meaningful verse to we as imperfect people. And this guy epitomizes humility to me. He's in this terrible situation. He's trying to help his son, but he understands that all of his hope rests in Christ, not just for the healing of his son, but for his own belief as well. He says, man, Lord, help my unbelief. I do believe, but he understands in humility that all of his desire and all of his hope rests in Jesus. He comes to the Lord and he says, you're the one that is going to have to do this. You're the one that's going to have to make this happen. And he meekly asks for compassion and for help and the faith to believe. And, and I love that. I, I'm so glad that we get to see this exchange between this man and the Lord. Now, the Lord desires that we communicate with him even when we're in dire and difficult circumstances. I think sometimes we get all twisted up in our minds and think that, Okay, well, I, I, I shouldn't approach the Lord in prayer until I've got this worked out. Or I, I, haven't, you know, I shouldn't start talking to the Lord about what's going on until I've overcome all my fear or all my worry or all my you know, disbelief as we look at this text. Um, until I've surmounted whatever problem I'm facing. But Jesus here wanted to speak to the dad and minister to him just like he wanted to minister to the son as well. That's why he waited while the boy was convulsing on the ground because God has a, has a timing that includes ministry for many, not just ministry for one person or ministry for a few. And so our inadequacy shouldn't be an obstacle between us and the Lord when it comes to communicating with the Lord and just opening our heart to him. It, it, our inadequacy should be a propellant toward the Lord where we realize, man, the Lord is in my midst and he, he's the only one that I have hope in and he's the only one that can transform my life because only Christ can deal with these sorts of issues that, that we see here and that we deal with in our spiritual lives. 
Our dependence is absolutely on him, just like this father. So we are to go to him in submission and humility and communicate with him openly, not waiting. We shouldn't wait to speak with the Lord because his desire is to do something in our lives, in the lives of our families right now. And so he's, he's ready to communicate with us. Now you drop down to verses 33 through 37 and you see the disciples again choosing to not respond to Jesus when he talks to them. So it's because they were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And then Jesus gets to where they're going. He's like, hey, so what are you guys, uh, what are you guys talking about while you were there on the road? Uh, you, they clam up. He asked them and they, and they completely clam up. You know, it's kind of comedic, but it's sad. It's embarrassing. Can you imagine being there and Jesus who knew the hearts of men and they're arguing over who, who has a higher rank in the kingdom as they just failed to completely, you know, to cast out this demon. But now they're arguing about who's better and who's worse and and Jesus asks them about it, and they clam up. Uh, but we sometimes do this too because we have our own agenda. We, I mean, we have a human agenda. And, and if we're allowing ourselves to build an agenda for our own greatness as Christians, then we are going to eventually come to the place where the Lord says to us, Gene, who is the greatest in your life? And if the answer is, I'm the greatest in my life, and I'd like to do stuff with you, Lord, we're going we're gonna to come to this same impasse that the disciples were at. Because as we've seen, God already has his own agenda. He already has a plan and a kingdom and a place for us in his will. He says, hey, I have an agenda for you. Uh, but if we're trying to bring our own pride and our own greatness in on top of that, we're eventually just going to be embarrassed before the Lord like the disciples. Because his will is that we serve others, Jesus said, and humble ourselves and decrease so that he can increase. So if we're focused on becoming greater and greater in this world or the next world, then we're going to get to a point where communication is broken down between us and the Lord. Because the human and the heavenly agendas cannot coexist in our lives. They can't. Uh, they are mutually exclusive, spiritually speaking. And then finally, trying to get out of this embarrassing situation, John shifts focus. He says, oh, don't worry about that, Lord. And he gets all excited to tell Jesus about how they found this guy who was casting out demons in his name and they forbade him. You can't do this. Uh, and he's, you know, trying to get the subject off of, you know, them arguing about who's the greatest and uh, talks about this, how they went around and like hassled this guy who's doing ministry. What's funny is that a few verses ago, they couldn't cast out a demon themselves, but they're, they're so quick to try to stop this other guy who was apparently casting out demons in the name of the Lord. And again, they're sort of talking at Jesus. They're trying to solve his problems for him. Only this wasn't a problem. It was a complete <laughs> blunder that John and the other guys did this. They weren't listening to the fact that Jesus wasn't making his message exclusive. He was calling his people everywhere to repentance and salvation and discipleship. He, that was open to everybody. But the disciples weren't listening to that, and they were getting all caught up in the fact that this other believer, who Jesus said performed a miracle, so he was successfully casting out demons, they were all caught up in the fact that he wasn't under them. He wasn't being regulated by them as the twelve. John said, because he does not follow us, is what he said. And I think that's interesting. Not, he does not follow you, okay? Uh, and this, it's this kind of propping ourselves up that really limits our conversation with Christ and messes up how we interact with people. So what we see in this passage are examples of communication breakdown and communication connection for others. The father of the healed boy, he listened to Jesus and cast his life onto Jesus. He didn't come with pride or fear. He came ready to hear from the Lord, and his life was changed. But the disciples again and again and again failed to understand what the Lord was saying and what he was doing in this chapter. And the results were comedic at best, 
but hurtful and blasphemous at worst. So we need to learn from this. So if we want to be led up the mountain and equipped to minister and shown what's in store for us, because we know Jesus wants to do those things, then we have to be in clear communication with the Lord today. Not succumbing to fear, not bringing in our own agenda, not making assumptions, not propping ourselves up, not telling the Lord what he needs us to do for him, but filling ourselves uh, with humility instead of pride. We need to hear Jesus, talk with Jesus, listen to what he says, go where he leads, do what he wants us to do. That's what we need to do today. So enjoy doing that.